This is Formby Podcast. In this podcast, we're back with Joan Rimmer, reading Viking Village, the story of Formby, published in 1973 by Edith Kelly and the Formby Civic Society. It's a ferocious read, but here it's made so accessible by Joan Reading. Viking Village by Edith Kelly. Chapter 7, Into the 20th Century. The Advent of the Urban District. In August 1865, Nathaniel Hawthorne took a journey by rail from Liverpool to Southport and wrote, The ride is through a most uninteresting tract of country. The railway skirts along the whole distance, but it is shut from the sight of it by the low sand hills, which seem to have been heaped up by the waves. I have not seen a drearier landscape even in Lancashire. The country about Southport has as few charms as it is possible for any region to have. That was his point of view and that of many others. But the charms of the neighbourhood were becoming more and more appreciated by those who worked in the cities. These may have looked at things with the same appreciation as Catherine Jackson, who called the sand hills sunny solitudes. They were not to remain solitudes for much longer. The coming of the railway and the subsequent growth of Southport into a holiday resort were the direct causes of the discovery of Formby in the latter part of the 19th century. The newcomers to Formby were mostly businessmen and professional men and their families who had their offices in Southport or Liverpool. These people had different views and standards from those of the natives of Formby. They were anxious to have the benefits of country life, but not ready to accept the conditions which accompanied it. They were not dependent on the lords of the manor and wished to bring about changes which had previously not been thought of. Although there is no evidence that they did not fit in well with the sand grounders, i.e. those born with sand between the toes, there was a certain lack of contact in some of their ideas. The newcomers wanted piped water and were rightly suspicious of the water in the wells, which were for some people the only source of supply. They wanted better drainage and water closets and sewers instead of cesspits. They wanted street lighting and better roads. It was reported at one time that Piercefield Road had ducks swimming at both ends of the road. They also wanted to be better represented on the bodies that govern the district. Until 1894, the inhabitants of Formby and Ainsdale were for, for local government purposes, part of the West Lancashire Rural District based at Ormskirk, while the roads were under the control of the Southport Highway District. Under the Local Government Act of 1894, parish councils were created in Birkdale, Ainsdale, Formby, Crosby and Waterloo. Ainsdale from this year separated from Formby. The parish councils had limited powers and the residents of Formby pressed for the district to be made an urban district which would give them more control over their own affairs. A great campaign was set on foot for urban district status. The population was divided into urbanites and non-urbanites. For the most part, the pros were the newcomers 
and the Nons were the native farmers and landowners, led by Mr Miles and Mr John Formby, supported by the Reverend Father Wilfred Carr, nephew of Monsignor Carr, who saw the agitation as an attempt by the rich newcomers to get political control of the district. The arguments in favour of the Urban District Council were based on the poor state of the sanitary arrangements, the absence of street lighting and the state of the roads, together with the impossibility of getting the councillors in Ormskirk to think about doing anything for Formby. The chief argument against the cause was the usual one of the cost to the people by the raising of the rates to pay for improvements. The case was put and opposed at meeting after meeting, until at length, after many acrimonious and insulting remarks had been banded to and fro, and much amusement had been caused too, a poll of residents was taken. This resulted in the following figures. For the Urban District Council, 385. Against the Urban District Council, 365. Majority, 20. Abstained, 300. In spite of the number of abstainers, it was recognised that the Urbanites had won and steps were taken to set in motion the machinery for the change of status. The announcement of the result of the poll was made on March the 29th, 1897 at the Victoria Hall to triumphant cheers and disappointed hisses. It was described in the Formby Times as one of the most far-reaching events in the history of Formby. It was not until 1905 that the legislation was passed, so Formby became an urban district in that year by Act of Parliament. The four wards, which we still have, were to be Freshfield, Duke Street, Old Town and Ravenmeals. Section 22 of Part 4 of the Schedule for the Act prescribes that the council may make bylaws, some suggestions being 1. For appointing and limiting the places on the seashore from which persons of each sex may bathe without using a bathing machine, tent or room. 4. For prescribing the use of decent and sufficient bathing garments. Another proposal dealt with the licensing of pleasure boats, so Formby by the Sea was still in people's minds. Here it may be mentioned that the campaign for the creation of the Urban District Council was responsible for the birth of the Formby Times. It was published through the initiative of the Urbanites as part of their extremely vigorous campaign, which they carried on for several years. The first edition came out on November the 17th, 1894, and at first the, the paper was published fortnightly. Letters from the two factions appeared regularly, some deriding the backwardness of the district, others praising Formby and advising those who disliked it to go and live elsewhere. One of the founders of the newspaper was Mr Felix Dawn of Harwood House, a great worker for the setting up of the urban district. The establishment of a local newspaper helped to spread knowledge and opinion and did a good deal to weld the new population into a community. The Urban District Council had a great deal more control over local affairs than the former parish council had and the newly elected council 
was determined to go ahead and bring Formby into line with the modern world. As in all non-industrial regions, the people were largely conservatives in politics and the councillors have always been either supporters of the Conservative Party or else independents or latterly members of the Ratepayers Association. It is not possible to mention all the worthy and distinguished people who have served the community as councillors, but perhaps a few might be picked out for special reasons. The first chairman of the council was Thomas Carlyle, not the Scottish author, who served for two years from 1905 to, to 1907. He was followed by the Reverend Wilfred Carr, 1907 to 8, one of the leaders of the Antis in the struggle for urban district status. Among other early chairmen are Rimmers, Tickles, Dickinsons and Robinsons, John Lindsay, H.S. Hutchinson and Mr. E. M. Melrose, headmaster of the Formby Senior Council School. The names of only two ladies appear in the list, Mrs. Margaret Neep, chairman three times, whose husband was the county councillor, and Mrs. P. H. Beeston, who was twice chairman and is also distingu distinguished as president of the Formby Council of Social Welfare. Mr. James Rimmer holds a record for the number of times he, was, he has held the office of chairman, for he has served in this office for a total of 11 years. Part of this service was during the war when he was chairman from 1939 to 1946. The more recent chairman, apart from those already mentioned, were Mr. Peter Marsh, who became a county representative, Mr. Ernest Duke, Mr. Edward Pierce, Mr. George Kershaw, Mr. Francis Denton, Mr. Stanley Sloan, Mr. Eric Storey, Mr. John Falkard, the youngest councillor to hold this office, Mr. Clifford Hilbert, Mr. Vincent Burke, Mr. Eric Holland, Mr. James Morrison, and currently Mr. Donald Dewar. The general policy of the council might be described as that of progress with caution. And like good citizens, the councillors have always kept a wary eye on the rates. Mr. John Breeze, who has recently retired from the post of clerk to the council, held that office for 28 years and was chief finance officer for 43 years from 1929 to 1972. He is now succeeded by his former deputy, Miss D. Robinson, who brings charm as well as experience and efficiency to the post. The present council offices were built in 1927. The council had previously met in Morehouse Buildings, Church Road, and before that at number 13, Chapel Lane. Perhaps here and now, before the new changes in urban organisation take place, it is appropriate to record the appreciation that the people feel for the time and effort that have been given by members of the council for this difficult and often thankless task. The last court leet. It was a little reluctantly that the Formby people accepted change and the creation of the urban district did not immediately mean the end of the old system of manorial government. The court leet of the manor was still meeting in 1905 and indeed it continued to meet until November the 26th 1917, when it was summoned for the last time. All persons, 
particularly the subtenants who owe suit and service to the said court, are hereby summoned and required to attend. The court was presided over by the stewards of the landowners, Thomas Bibby for Charles Weld Blundell and B. Arkell for Mr. Formby and Mr. James Maudsley, the bailiff presided. Mr. Bibby gave a summary of the history of the court leet and then officers for the coming year were appointed. Pinders, moss reeves, lookers that no wrong be done at sea, waif and stray lookers, house lookers, wreck lookers, lookers to the cockle beds and all the other guardians of the manor. The cleaning of the watercourse was discussed and the removal of wreckage from the shore, which belonged by right to the two lords of the manor. Councillor Rimmer, whether John Rimmer, Eccles, or Nicholas, William, Thomas, or James, is not clear, for they were all present at the court. They said that people who carried wreckage on their backs all the way from the shore deserved to keep it, but Mr Arkell thought that action should be taken against well-to-do people who took carts down to the shore to bring back wreckage. The court adjourned for dinner, drank toast to the king, the lords of the manor and the court leet, and the meeting ended with an impromptu concert and much joviality. Thus ended the manor of Formby, yielding place at last to the township of Formby, or the Formby Urban District, and the lords of the manor gracefully abandoned their ancient rights. Join us again. We have many more chapters to go while we explore Formby Viking Village, written by Edith Kelly, published in 1973. Thanks to the Formby Society of 2021 for giving us permission to read this book and share it with you. If you have anything that you would like us to share, a book, music, an art or craft, you can contact us via email formbypodcast at gmail.com Thank you.